Welcome to Storytelling. This week's guest has entertained various esteemed audiences, including UK Prime Ministers and Royalty, including Her Late Majesty the Queen. He is a professional singer, motivational speaker and educator. He has shared the stage with various artists, including Mariah Carey, Celine Dion and Tina Turner, to name a few. He has appeared on numerous international TV networks and he is also a vocal arranger for the choir sensation The Kingdom Choir, who performed live on TV to over 2 billion households for the Royal Wedding in 2018. His education workshops have earned him the Jack Petchy Award for being an outstanding leader. Please welcome Clinton Jordan. Hello Clinton and welcome to the podcast. Hello. <laughs> Clinton, activate one million voices. Can you tell us a bit more about this mission of yours? Okay. Well, I used to work in education for a while, since about well, 2000, actually. And my mission was not just really as a singer by trade to help people to sing. It started to transition into helping people get over their fears of not just singing, but just using their voice. I was teaching people singing lessons. That's what I was doing effectively at the beginning. But I saw more peripheral needs attached to singing than actual the singing itself and performing in front of people. There were other benefits that I was clocking up in my 100,000 hours of coaching people from five-year-olds, children, babies, all the way up to people that are in management in companies. And so I just decided at one point, I said, it wouldn't it be great just to activate one million voices and then actually just to count, put a, a clock counter to see. Now, I've activated so many people's voices before I started this mission, which happened actually in the pandemic. So I'm not counting those people, although they should actually be part of the, the mission. I've actually started the clock just a little bit back from around the, the pandemic. But it's really just my mission just to get people in the place where they feel comfortable to hear their own sound, to feel their own sound, to see their own sound by the impact that it has. And that's really what kind of is captured in that phrase, activate one million voices. <laughs> and that sounds crazy. <laughs> you mentioned that you were noticing some elements of behavior or personality, mm -hmm. which prompted you to do this activate one million voices. What did you notice? I was coaching a lady a while back. And I was giving her a few pointers. Actually, it wasn't a coaching session. I was just giving her pointers. And she kind of broke down in front of me while we were doing this thing about singing. And she said, this is a reason why my team don't hear me. And it was just a really odd thing for her to, to say in the middle of like talking about singing. And she referenced her voice to working with her team. She said, I'm a leader in my company and they don't hear me the way I think I should be heard. And then we got talking and she was talking about how she was in school, in primary school. 
And I've seen this story play out from the end, from the beginning and the beginning from the end. I've seen kids in school not being heard because they feel their voice is too tinny, too too dry, too deep or whatever. Or they feel like their voice is a misfit in their society. And they've grown up with this all the way up into their adult life. And this is what I call sonic impact trauma sit. And this trauma that happens when you put your hand up to go and answer a question, or you go and sing in the nativity play and people are laughing at you in the rehearsals, seen that all, carries with you all the way up into your adult life. Because I hear these stories, I'm now my ears are kind of like pricked up to listen for these things. And it helps me to fuel my why, to be honest. It helps me to really understand why I'm doing this and actually keep myself laser sharp. Why are we helping people find their voice? Because they want to feel a bit more broader in their sound. They want to have more resonance in their sound when they're not just singing, but talking, speaking. Or they feel that they have to rush out their words. Why? Because they found that when they were younger, just like me, they had a a speech problem. And so they couldn't get their words out and they were picked on or they were ostracized because they weren't fitting in. And so I teach them how to use rhythm in their singing, which now can reflect in their psyche when they go to speak. So there's so many different things, so many different stories, so many different narratives that are underneath this thing of why it's important for people. And I try not to say sing because I think instantly people have an image when it comes to singing. So I say to use their voice. I'm sure we're going to bounce off of that in a moment. But yeah, that's really kind of the why in my mission. I think that's really important. And as you rightly say, there's a lot of people who are noticing as adults how important their voice is. Mm. And a lot of people as adults joining choirs, learning how to sing and learning how to use their voices. And understandably, it's important in everyday speech as well. 100%. Speech is still, you know, people don't credit it as some sort of variation of singing, but it has a melodic construct in it. And it sits on the time and pitch axis, just as singing does. And you find that some people that have uh, maybe a, a greater, a wider degree of the melodic construct prized in their speaking are able to tap into the musicality of their voice and thus being able to be heard a lot more. And there's other people that are maybe tapping into the rhythmical qualities, being able to use the rhythmical values in their speaking, enunciating their sound and their silence. They're able to capture a room. And that's why you find that, let's go back to school times, there's there's always the cool kid that's able to say the silliest things, but be able to galvanize a whole classroom of people just because the, that person knows how to use sound and silence well as opposed to the person that actually has something to say, but because they haven't tapped into the time and pitch axis and how their voice sits on that and resides in in the resonance, they find it very hard to articulate what they've got to say, even though they have something valuable to say. And so through using the voice, or let's call it singing, through singing, I can show people the transferable skills that I've acquired through my own vulnerabilities as a young kid, having dyslexia and dyscalculia and being um, left-handed and and all of these things that, and, and not being able to speak well, you grow up in a bit of an eggshell or you try and create an eggshell around you to protect yourself. But there is so much power in vulnerability. 
And so I express my vulnerability through singing to help people find themselves, find their zone, find their place, and also to let them know that it's okay to be vulnerable. Let's just work on it. Let's work on it together. And that's where the confidence, when you see these people open up, that's where you see the confidence start to open up. That's when you start seeing them really reflect on themselves and say, you know what? No, it's okay for me to make a mistake. It's okay for me to forgive myself and move on in this exercise called singing. And, you know, singing is a very, what's the word I'm looking for? It's more than being naked. It's more than being exposed. We grow up through our life creating a series of facades, whether it be by our vocabulary, whether it be by the shoes and the clothes we wear, whether it be by our accessories, whether it be by our cars, etc., whatever it is. But ask someone to sing that is spent lots of time in these shields that they're wearing. Instantly, you can see them feeling so naked. And that's where the problem lies, because when we're not working out from within, it's very hard to understand how we can work on the outside if we don't get the inside right. Yes, I'm one of those people who identifies with feeling naked when it comes to singing. Mm. But you earlier spoke about vulnerabilities and you spoke about your own vulnerabilities and you come from an amazing family of singers. What would you say that singing did for you growing up and being amongst other singers? First of all, I came from a singing community, but via my family. And my parents used to do things like before we went to school, we would stand up in a line. Uh, my dad would get us to sing like one part, the first part of a song. It was like, you know, um, I think one of the earliest songs was when peace like a river attendeth my way. And then he'd say, go to school. <laughs> and then you'd say to sing the next line the next day and then go to school. And then the Wednesday again, and it would be line by line. And what my parents were good at was creating addiction. <laughs> they knew how to get you addicted line by line. But what we didn't realize, it we didn't realize that it was a part of performance. We just thought it was just part of everyday life. The TV didn't rule in our house in the 80s. It was very much singing and and musical instruments. But what was quite fascinating, what my parents were able to do was incorporate singing as a form of communication in our house. So every possible place we could have, there would be a song, maybe an anthem that we'd learn together. Maybe that would be, um, we would sing our grace you know, around the table when we, before we had our dinner, my parents were always singing in the kitchen while they were cooking and all of these kind of things. So it was just part of the community. That community then spilled over into my outer communities where we would be singing, let's for example, in church, and then we'd be singing in the choir and then we're singing in bigger choirs and then we'd be singing in bigger venues where bigger churches and then we'd be singing in bigger halls and then bigger halls. And then someone would spot us from there and say, would you come and sing here? and so-and-so until it was singing with an artist and then they're singing on TV and then singing on radio and then singing on a world tour and then singing you know, on a, on a number one album and then, then singing in front of two billion households across the planet. There's a progressionary route and it wasn't for performance sake. It was purely for communication. And, and I can even say, even up to one of the biggest highlights that I've had in terms of numerical size 
was the royal wedding in 2018. Nearly 2 billion households. When we were in the cathedral, we weren't singing because we were like, oh my gosh, we're going to be singing in front of 2 billion people. We were so happy to see each other and sing with each other and sing for a lovely occasion. The fringe benefits was being able to sing in an amazing place like that. And then we found out it was nearly 2 billion households are watching. And the reason why I bring that up is, is because I believe there's a lot of importance that's been placed on performance rather than being in the moment. And I can tell you now, hand on heart, there was nothing dissimilar from being in the moment with Karen Gibson from the Kingdom Choir singing in front of nearly half the planet than there was me singing with my dad in the living room and my mum in the living room with my brothers and sisters. My parents taught me about being in the moment with your voice. And that brought its fringe benefits, presentation, being able to deliver, being able to look people in the eye, being able to smile and be an influenza, being able to have a call and then a response. And just because I've practiced doing that for the, and my why is just to be in the moment, the richness that comes off in being in, in the moment, you know, you will get people wanting to join in your moments. And that's how superstars are created. It's because they know how to create a moment. And so my thing is with my mission here is I want people to learn how to create moments in their everyday lives. You don't have to go to a concert to have a moment. It could be a song at the, the water cooler experience in your company. It could be singing with your friends at the karaoke bar. It could be be singing with your family at, at home. It could be singing in the car with your favorite song. It could be singing in the shower where the ceramic tiles give you a lovely reflection and, and allow your dulcet tones to shine through. <laughs> these are moments. And why am I highlighting these things? It's because moments help our well-being. When we find moments, when we start looking for great moments in our lives, I talk about the four power places to use your voice in your day-to-day -day lives. When you find these moments, you're now on the pursuit of looking before your mental health rather than looking after it. And I believe that motivation is a renewable energy and singing or using your voice has the ability to change your body chemistry, do rewiring on your neural pathways, and to have an effect on everyone that is in your core circles and on your peripheries. When we start chasing after those things, everything else, I believe, it will start to fall into place. Clinton, what would you say are the first steps? After listening to this, they probably have that aha, inspirational moment. What's the first thing they should think about doing? I coach people, both in communities and companies, on creating moments in your everyday life. We have a diet for our food. We have a diet for our scheduling and our on tasks and being on task and what to do and what not to do. We have a diet for we have and what we watch on Netflix and, and Netflix helps us to create a diet that keeps us binging. And so what I would say is, is that you have an iPhone or your, your devices where you have your music and your Spotify. I teach people how to create song diets and I go into it from a music theory perspective but I break it down simply here. Find songs that are powerful, that have built the soundtrack to your life. 
That's one of the steps that I teach coach people to do to be able to, to bring out what I call the four pillars of motivation. If you bring your power songs, the songs that trigger what I call emotion, energy motion. If you start by that alone, you're going to start to change the body chemistry of your days. And that's going to bring out some different things when you start to diarize and strategically create these triggers as launch pads to your daily motion. And I coached a program called Be Healthy and Productive Through the Power of Song. Clinton, I thank you so much for your time on this podcast. Oh, wow. That time's gone so fast. Hey? If you would like to take part in Activate One Million Voices and would like further details about Clinton, then please follow the link in the show notes. <laughs>